Torah isn't education, it's transformation. This is Chai Chinuch with Rabbi G. 101.9 Chai FM, Chai Chinuch with Rabbi G. We are back as we do every Monday between 2 to 3 where we discuss education. We discuss how to make the world a better place, but starting with how to make us better people, how to influence our friends, our families, our community, just live in a place we want to live in and be in. Last week we had a fascinating discussion about the brain from a very, from the scientific, scientific side of things. We spoke with uh, the head of neuropsychology in Sheba Hospitals. And this week we are going to be local in South Africa. However, we are staying in the psychology, meaning in the practical. Let's discuss more about how we can improve the world and improve ourselves and be better people and the effects that we're in. With me today in studio, I have Dr. Seth Cooper, psychologist, who is a psychologist and the president of the Pan-African Psychology Organization. So I wish, I wish I could tell you all of the amazing things that Dr. Cooper has done, uh, but you will have to go to Wikipedia for that because I only have one hour show and I do want to manage to speak to him as well, not only talk about him. So... I'm going to take an opportunity, but what he's done over the years, uh, since, you know, what was fascinating about what I did see about him is the young age that he actually became an activist and started doing things is really, really, really fascinating. But we'll get to that and we'll take step by step. 34519 is the SMS line. Any questions to me or to Dr. Seth Cooper? Anything you want to know? Anything you, any topic you'd like us to discuss? It's your show. 34519 is the SMS line. Telegram 0618951019. Again, Telegram 0618951019. Good afternoon, Dr. Cooper. Thank you so much for being with us today. It's my pleasure. Okay. There are so many angles we can talk about and start. Let's start with current events today. And the world we're living in. So on a general level, from a psychological point of view, we've we've been this in a world that changed completely, I'd say, since COVID-19. I mean, we're not in COVID anymore, and but the effects on a psychological level have been huge. We are in a country that has different aspects of challenges coming and going consistently. What are we, the... Um, the focuses and the challenges that we are looking at these days happening now currently in South Africa? I think we confront probably the most dangerous period in our history. I think we... Oh, wow, that's optimistic. Okay. (laughs) I think we're seeing uh, a shattered economy. We're seeing uh, general... Socioeconomic malaise, uh, okay. if not advantage taken of the incredibly shattered and gutted out uh, public system for mayhem, for corruption, for all sorts of self-aggrandizing and that leaves us on the heels of a pandemic that's not quite left yet, us more uncertain and more insecure. Completely. So the individuals living today are not feeling safe and secure uh, that they can trust the leadership, the management of the country, of the people they need to look up to. I think we have lost faith in uh, nearly all forms of 
authority out there, uh, such as it may be. And okay. the, the authorities themselves have not endeared uh, the respect that South Africa needs uh, at this time to move forward from the, the pandemic and then the depredations that have been taking place. Okay, so how do we start adapting to this reality? I think we should not adapt to it. Okay. I didn't say accept, I said adapt. <laughs> okay. But, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 that's a very nuanced, uh, point. Okay. I think it's very important that, uh, we, we don't accept that. Uh, we need to, I, I think human beings are very resilient. We've been very resilient in, uh, our past, and we've been extremely resilient during COVID. Uh, thank heavens that uh, our population has been so young that we've right. been robust against it. The older population is, I think, less than 30% are over 50 in this country. So uh, we're lucky in that respect. But at the same time, we don't have a center to hold us together, uh, and that is coming apart at the seams very, very fast. So I think that uh, different communities, uh, and I'm using the word community very guardedly because the sense of community in this country has been destroyed uh, okay. in, in many respects. What we do have that's surviving is faith communities, or communities of interest that manage to cohere in some way. Outside of that, if you're looking at a neighborhood, a community in neighborhood, uh, that doesn't really We're behind exist. fences and, We're and gates and, and not engaged. Absolutely. So I, I, I want to discuss a major part of community. I just We have a few announcements, mm -hmm. and then we will continue discussing sure. the community aspect. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. 101.9 FM, we are back. And we was just in the beginning of a fascinating discussion. I'm here with Dr. Seth Cooper, his psychologist, the president of Pan-African Psychology. And we are discussing current times that we're living through and the crisis we're in. And right before the break, uh, Dr. Cooper mentioned about the loss of community and community support and connection and being united. And I want to ask you, Doctor, on that question. I, I've been working with different countries in different places uh, that some of them are going through major trauma themselves. And I find huge differences between, uh, for instance, if we talk about in HFM, I'll give example of Israel. Israel is a country that's going through a lot of terrorist attack and chaos. And if you walk in the streets, you don't feel the trauma. You feel safe, you feel comfortable. You walk here many times, we do feel the trauma. And there's many things we can look at, at different reasons and what are the differences, why we feel this way. And one of the things is that I've been, I was discussing with a few students that, and what the feeling that came up was that when you have a society that if something bad happens to you, everybody right away is on top of you trying to help, trying to support, trying, showing their care. The, the f officials are trying to fight it then we can reduce the trauma, we can feel safe and secure, and we could live with it. When we're in a society that if something happened, you're out there for your own, you don't have that community holding you, 
that would be one of the triggers that will make the trauma what much worse. A, I'd love to hear what you think about this concept, and B, wondering, considering that that's the case, what can we do to make our families and communities and neighbors feel that sense of caring and support when we go through rough times? Okay, let me just say that historically, our country has been divided along so many lines. And over time, from the advent of the Union of South Africa, uh, that's more recent in 1910 onwards. All persons who were not white were removed from decision making and did not have a say in what was going on. So it right. was easy to sort of push people onto the periphery, push people into particular labor reservoirs, which we have now called townships. And we still use the language uh, 29 years after democracy of that township. We we don't say Sydenham is a township. Sydenham right. is yeah. a neighborhood, you know. Suburb, well, it was. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's a, a suburb uh, kind of thing. The other important element is that the geospatial system entrenched the Demonas. It created the major differences, which during democracy got exacerbated by a, an ethnicity, if you like. Okay. The ethnicity that I and my uh, student colleagues in the 70s opposed. We opposed any ethnicity. Uh, you know, it didn't say we were anti uh, somebody being from a particular background or speaking a particular language or having a particular faith, but we wanted people to identify in a common uh, solidarity against the very Nazi apartheid system uh, that uh, prevailed in the country. So what emerged was our industry, our development as a uh, an advance uh, to become an advanced society was based on the back of dismembering black family life. So okay. you had labor reservoirs created. You had the mines where people were imported uh, from other countries. They lived in hostels. The hostels still exist, by the way, and uh, attempts to to transform them have almost failed. Why? I don't think that they they were engaged with with a commitment to change them. I think it was lip service. And the result is that we have those kinds of outbreaks like we hear happening in Umlazi and in Kwamashu in in Durban. Uh, right. You know. uh, so these places became enclaves for well, may, they were, number one, they were male. There were a few female hostels, very few, but mostly male to work primarily the mines and attendant industries. So the attack on family life was very severe, exceedingly severe. And that has not been remediated in any meaningful way. So over time, we've had AIDS orphans, We've had COVID, and the number of children-headed 
households has increased in society. So many children have grown up with a single parent, often uh, a mother or a grandmother or a grandparent, or a, a, a even, grandparent yeah. right? So that has become a feature of our lives. I remember in the early 90s, in the prelude to uh, democracy in this country, I created the Family Institute and engaged with a variety of entities uh, throughout uh, the country. And it was to look at the violence and mitigate that violence and do interventions. At that time, our research showed us that well over 70% of the people we engaged with on our 24-hour helpline in all languages and in different uh, parts of the country where there were trouble spots, political largely, that 70% of those who engaged our services were from that kind of single-parent background. I myself have come from a single-parent background, Mm -hmm. and there hasn't been that holding, supportive uh, enablement to say, we're there for you. So correctly right now, as you said a few minutes ago, that when something happens, you're left on your own. And when it happens to children and we leave children to fend for themselves, it's an indictment on any society. Exactly. So that is definitely the challenge, it that, is. That, uh, a huge challenge that we're, we're facing and we need to address. Um, I, however, saying that, Okay, you, you know, before saying that, I'm, I'm, let's go for another announcement, and then when we come back, I, I think this, I, I would like to elaborate on that uh, a bit more. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. 101.9, we are back in the middle of a fascinating discussion. I'm here with Dr. Seth Cooper, a psychologist, the president of Pan-African Psychology, and we are discussing current times and what we need to do right before the break we spoke about single parent families and the stress and children that are left on their own with the, uh, the emotional stress challenges in life and, and different areas that they are not supported in creating a huge impact on them anything you'd like to comment on that 34519 is the sms line or telegram 061-895-1019 and here's my question to you right before we the you know when we started the show actually we spoke about not accepting, but adapting. Now, we're right now in our current times in the country. Many people say, instead of me relying on ESCOM for electricity, I'm going to get solar panels. And instead of me relying on the city for water, I'm going to get a borehole. And instead of me relying on government for hospitals, I'm going to get medical aid. And my question is, we we see the psychology area, the, the personal safety, the looking after community, the rehabilitating communities like like the mine workers and, and people in townships and things that we were, are not being addressed. What can we do to step aside and say, in this industry as well, we as people need to stand up for people and need to be there to support each other? And even if everyone starts with the people living around him, with the divorce of South Africa, not about color or gender or whatever, wh- whoever is around you, to start putting these places 
these things in place that we can support because you mentioned very nicely that in the communities we see there's gates, there's separations, and the communities are not together. Are we not there to say, okay, we need that psychological support, we need the emotional support, let's start looking after ourselves? Yes, we we have to do that, and uh, especially with older people, uh, parents, people with children, that you need to actually care for your children. You need to actually ensure that they feel as safe as possible, even if the environment out there is not as safe. They need to be made aware about the safety issues, and sometimes children and uh, teenagers, uh, youngsters, can easily feel quite uh, occupied by social media and feel uh, less cognizant of lurking dangers. So they need to become a little bit more aware and vigilant uh, rather than paranoid about it so that they inform parents where they are. The next is to extend that to others in one's family, one's home. Uh, those who work for us, those who we engage in different ways, that they are part of that extended family and that they need to appreciate that if they are in the rabbi's home, that they're part of that home, if you like. Exactly. Uh, and that should extend to others one engages in in other spaces besides the home, in the school environment, in the uh, recreational environment, in various environments like that. We need to reach out to make others feel that we are there for them uh, in some way. We may not be able to instantly solve their problems, but at an emotional level and at an understanding level, we will be available. That will radically change the Demanas culture in this country because right. immediately we have the apartheid of the mind, if you like. You know, <laughs> it separates people based on uh, idiosyncrasies and, and things which we don't need to uh, delve on because they keep us apart because ultimately we're all human beings. And if we recognize that quintessential humanity, that our biology is the same, that uh, others come in and create iron walls that separate us. But I have to say, it's not only of the mind. I, I had personally a shocking experience. The first time I came to South Africa, and it wasn't that many years ago, and I haven't been in South Africa that many years, and it was very unfortunate that the first two months we were here, me and my wife, we had a bit of a, a little car accident. And then when the police officer came and she asked us to fill out the form, which is very normal in every place, I saw a question over there that I, I had to say what color I am. And I turned to the police officer because my English wasn't so good at the time. And I said, excuse me, officer, I think I'm not reading this correctly because I my English is not that good. I don't understand and she explained to me, she said, no, you need a right if you're white or, or black or color. And I'm, I'm talking about less than 10 years ago. Why are we still stuck there? Well, this is one of the problems with our democracy. We have continued certain practices of the past. And that uh, classification does not belong in our statute books at all. 
we should get rid of it. Uh, I believe that the, you know, identity is self-ascription. I cannot give you an identity that you yourself don't want to give yourself, you know. And that's why we create these iron walls between us because we identify as, oh, that's an X and that's a Y. And immediately, instantly, we have this cancel culture. We cancel each other out because you don't, you don't feature. You know, you, you, you don't mean anything in my life. And that begins the diminution of everybody else, you know, and that essentially in our Bill of Rights, we've got dignity as paramount. But the indignity of race classification is so palpable. I must say I battled with that concept uh, in the uh, mid-90s and accepted that, yes, we need to put something there in order that resources can go to underserved areas. But in 29 years, I think the opposite has happened. The resources have gone unto the people who are in charge rather than in those areas and in the people that need it the most, you know. So race classification ought not to be there. And I don't even want to go to arguments that have been put out by eminent scholars, uh, no, Chomsky and various yeah. others who have talked about the, you know, I, I believe we, we want humanity. We view the world differently. We have different beliefs. Can you imagine how boring it would be if all of us looked like me, spoke like me, talked like me, and dressed like me? You specifically, I think, would be good, but maybe <laughs> other people. No, I agree. It's just the extreme of when you and – and I do see the room for respect of different cultures, but when it comes to a car accident or to a simple I four, understand. there's no I, – I don't see the benefit of it. You know, and also to have color there. How, how are you going to color yourself? Exactly. Am I a pink or <laughs> – <laughs> you know? Exactly. So uh, I want to continue the discussion. And I want to talk a bit about, you know, the field that, as a psychologist, and we know psychologists are today extremely busy. I could see on my groups that I run with all the therapists, different kinds of therapy. Psychologists are the busiest by far. Yeah. And in, although they in, complain, they they don't have enough work. But so. okay, that's yeah, that's uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to keep quiet to that. Okay. So, anyways, my question to you is, you know, before I ask my question, maybe give us two words about uh, the the Pan African uh, Psychology, Psychology Union. Union, exactly. Okay. What? Look, uh, the Pan African Psychology Union is a country organization. So, the Psychological Society of South Africa. Uh, was instrumental uh, in founding it together with the leadership of Nigerian, uh, Namibian, Zimbabwean, uh, Ghanaian, uh, Kenyan, and other uh, countries' leadership. So what we do is we talk about the issues that are common to us and the issues that uh, are not common to us because each country faces its own uh, problems, but you'll be amazed that the psychology is one. The way we approach it then begins to become this right. multitude of voices, if you like, you know. Uh, and 
We look at the education of psychologists. We uh, have agreed that uh, a minimum requirement is a master's to be called a psychologist. And that's from the viewpoint of you are dealing with the most intimate issues that people confront. And you need to be properly educated. And as uh, as good or as uh, mediocre as the education system may be, you need to at least have um, certain requirements and therefore the minimum master's qualification. Because in some parts of the continent, people just get a first degree or sometimes don't even have a degree and call themselves a psychologist because the, the dispensation uh, doesn't have a regulatory framework. So what we're doing is we're helping those countries to create some kind of regulatory framework so that the person who qualifies in the Cameroon and meets the requirements should be able to qualify and practice here. In this day and age, we're in the third decade of the 21st century, it, we now do a lot of online engagements. We, we often don't meet people in the flesh. We meet them at a distance, right. and you should be able to engage with those uh, persons wherever they may be in real time because they we know that they have the basic uh, qualifications, they have the basic knowledge to be able to deal with our issues. I must say that we also have in this country a dispensation where you have to pass your exam with the 70% pass mark uh, at the board level. So, okay. and that's, that's because, uh, you're dealing with people and they deserve the best. They don't deserve exactly. mediocrity. So, unfortunately, our training institutions don't produce enough psychologists. So that need is now being filled by private institutions. So private institutions are offering psychology. They've been offering it for the last 20 plus years because it's a growth industry. Because wherever there's chaos or crisis or trauma, Psychology thrives, and therefore exactly. there's a need for those uh, persons to be out there. Uh, in the year 2000, we introduced a new category called uh, counselor, uh, well, a psychological, well, uh, counselor. Uh, it's called registered counselor because okay. the psychologists were up in arms about anybody else being called uh, using the name psychology. But in other parts of the continent, people are calling themselves counselors, practicing. Uh, there's faith-based organizations that are that are pushing them to do that. Uh, a lot of them from, you know, uh, self-proclaimed uh, churches and so on. So we're confronting those kinds of issues, and we. We're looking at creating a better understanding of ourselves because we don't know each other on the continent. We, we know people from Europe. We know the cultures uh, of North America and Western Europe, but we, we don't know our next-door neighbors. And exactly. that kind of interaction is something that we, we've been doing in order to also uh, strike a place for psychology from Africa in the rest of the world. Otherwise, we'd be dominated by uh, first and second year students' psychology 
becoming extrapolated to the rest of the world because most of psychological research is based on college-age kids right. uh, in in the United States whose uh, professors do research and then say, well, uh, for the rest of the world, this is what we do here. And immediately, if you don't follow their prescripts, there's something wrong with your science, you see. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so so that's, that's a, a very powerful thing. In numbers, how many psychologists do we have under the organization in South Africa generally? Well, there are uh, probably, right now, there are probably about just over 20,000 psychologists in this country. Okay. Uh, too little to cater for well over 60 million people. Exactly. And this is why I'm asking, and I want to come to the next question I have, which is, and this is a tricky concept, and I know it's a problematic concept. Okay. Generally, psychologists are helping people and amazing, doing amazing work and really being there for the community and, and really outstanding work. Saying that, the way the system works is that in order to get help, you need to reach out to a psychologist. And no psychologist would reach out to you to offer you help, which is very normal. But then we reach a different, uh, interesting situation. Because if we're looking at South Africa as a culture, and we're talking about the families that don't have a parent, the kids that don't have a parent to look out for them, the school systems that not necessarily can see every child with their interests, and you know, different areas of kids that don't even have a chance to be exposed to this, to get the help, to get the support. Isn't there a role for the psychological union and psychologists to do some reaching out to the community and with all the complications of minors, of, you know, there's no kids? And I do understand the big problem saying that, how do, is there a way to bridge that gap? I think that it is it is more than valid that psychologists who have the knowledge and organized psychology should be involved in community involvement in communities of need let me not put it okay. any higher or lower than that where you see there is that need to make the offer to uh, and and there's a sensitivity to that because some some uh, geographic areas have been inundated with people close to university settings where there's a, there's a training program and so they dip in to that uh, area and get their sample size do some uh, intervention report that back and so on so there's been some abuse unfortunately from some of our institutions in that respect However, the geopolitical space has changed so dramatically that it's easy to find people who you can engage with to make a difference in their lives, as hopeless as that may be, to show them that there are people out there who care and who can make that difference by enabling them to mediate their environment better. Coming back to that question of how, how do you adapt to abnormal situations? Exactly, exactly. And I think you know, just like the healthcare system, there's hospitals for everybody. Um, we need to perhaps look at mental health as well for everybody and to find a way that people can reach out even if there's no one looking after them. 
though we do need to take another break and when we come back shortly we'll continue with this discussion high fm 101.9 megahertz of life 101.9, we are back in the middle of a fascinating discussion. I'm here with Dr. Seth Cooper, who is the president of the Pan-African Psychology Union, and we're speaking about different areas of psychology. As we speak about how busy psychologists are and the need to reach out and the huge work that they're doing with you guys are doing within the mental health area, there's also a whole group of people that do have the ability to get help, but they're embarrassed, and it's very stigmatized. And, you know, we're, we're equal, so we don't speak about gender. But I'd say that men generally are harder to come to therapy than women, and but maybe not. And I'm wondering, how do we address that on a community level to allow people to reach out for help and to go get help and to understand that, you're not going to be judged by a therapist, and there's no stigma over there because it's just there to improve yourself. Just like you improve your health, you want to improve your mental health. I think it's important for men in particular to also share with others that they experience certain issues which impact them negatively, that they can get and often do get depressed, and they mask it by becoming uh macho or super aggressive or uh, acting overconfidently, etc., etc., whatever the case may be, that inside there is somebody who needs help but just doesn't know how to get it. And there are different ways. Uh, this station, I think, does very well in reaching out to uh, its communities uh, across gender as well. And that needs to be replicated throughout uh, the country in whatever entities we are part of to say that actually men can tear and can cry and it's good for them when they do because there's almost a a relief after that and that you all of us at some point uh, need guidance Uh, we we seek it in different ways but most people end up asking their maker for guidance. In the same way, they can ask a messenger of a maker to show them the better way. Yeah. And that, I think, uh, is, is a way, one of the ways to get to men because the stigma doesn't help. It doesn't help because you get, especially in workplaces that are uh, very fast, uh, you know, everything is happening. People don't have the time to think, to take a, to take a, a depth charge of what's happening in, with me in my environment. And so before you know it, the time has passed and you've lost that opportunity. But the problem still persists. So a lingering problem is dangerous for anybody. And uh, that shouldn't be allowed to happen. Completely. So I'm going to share with you a phone call that I get about three, four times a week. And I would want to hear how you would answer it. Two, three, four, five times a week, I get a phone call from women saying, "Uh, Rabbi, my husband needs help emotionally. He went through trauma. Something's going on. There's a lot of stress, financial work, but he's refusing. What can I tell him? And sometimes the same question is about my teenage child. What would you answer? I think the teenage child 
is 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 quite a, a complex one, but okay. it's easier to deal with. And that is for the mother to make the child very aware that I'm here, I'm your mother, I you can share things with me, but not to overdo that. You know, one shouldn't be that overweening Yiddish mama who's going to say, <laughs> I'm going to give you the ch- chicken soup and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, you know, dominating completely uh, in a nice way, but not giving the child the space. The, ch- the, the child needs little bits of that to know that I can turn to mommy. To be there a support, to not there. a controlling, not dominating. A controlling, yes. yeah. And that you can share with me, or if it's something that you don't feel comfortable with, share it with daddy because we're there for you. We, you are of us and we are of you. And therefore, we, we there for you. So that the child grows up differently from how we were brought up. And that's important to break those, uh, stringent controls that have created the problems in the first place because they're intergenerational and they move across time. So I would do that with the child. With the husband, I would encourage him to speak to you. I would encourage him to speak to an elder, uh, somebody else who uh, he may feel comfortable with because clearly he can't... Uh, he can't overcome what he's confronting and he's going to bottle it up and something is going to give at some point and often it can be self-destructive. So I would encourage that. And then if he says, well, I, you know, and to, to put him at ease that the rabbi has a confidentiality. Obviously. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but that's exactly the point. Many times they, somebody would feel that it's not, it, it if I'm a man, I can manage. I'm fine. I don't need. And it puts strain on the relationship, Absolutely. on the family and everybody. Sure. And it, it does create a lot of stress. So uh, the formula basically is to connect. And, and and I think what you're saying is a very important thing, that if you can't convince them to go anywhere, first be there for them yourself. And as a for, as as the loved one and the close one, don't just give up and say, oh, my husband's stubborn. He won't go for help. Okay, he may be stubborn and won't go for help, but the first step would be you listen to him and connect to him. Yes, and also not to nag him too much about it, uh, because sometimes resistance. Because the resistance just builds. Uh, to in 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 small ways to say I'm there for you when you want to talk. I'll I'll be there for you, and and to not be judgmental, because it's e- very easy for a parent, for a partner, for a spouse. To immediately want to say, I told you, I told you, you know, or you shouldn't be doing that. Yes. And, and that blaming one should, one should remove oneself from. Because you, if you're there as a mutual support and help system, you got to take what is, not what you'd like it to be, but you must work towards what you'd like it to be. Completely. Living in a world of, of such, complex sensory that people live in and that leads to anxiety and trauma and stress and worries without even speaking about social media. I'm seeing in my practices and I'm sure and I'm wondering what you're seeing that with the load shedding situation and with the kids not sleeping well at night or people that are extremely affected on a sensory level when there is noise, when there isn't, when there's light, a huge spike in, in anxiety. 
Are you seeing that as well? Yes, there is a, an increase in anxiety. And the, the, the twin of that is depression. Because exactly. you, you, you know, you know there's load shedding that's going to happen at X o'clock. And then you sort of attitudinalize yourself to that. And then when it's a minute late, you begin to say, oh, I thought it was. And then boom, it goes. Or it doesn't happen. And then you get irritated instead of taking advantage of those few minutes you've got of light. So that adaptability that we started the conversation on is important to bring into this. Otherwise, we'll get stuck in this situation. And we need to, again, make those vulnerable in our midst, especially younger people uh, and older people, by the way, comfortable and to allay their fears to say this too shall pass at some point. But... Uh, these are beyond our control, and we shouldn't make that become the new normal. Exactly. We're going to be out on the other side, exactly like we did in COVID. It, it will come around. It will, and exactly you said, don't be, as we say, anxiety stuck in the future and depression in the past. Don't be stuck. Live the present and enjoy and adapt to what we have. We do need to take our, our last um, announcement, and then when we come back, we'll have our final discussion. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. 101.9 Hi FM, Hi We are back at the end of an unbelievable show today that I had with Dr. Seth Cooper, who is the psychologist president of the Pan-African Psychology Union. And we're not, we didn't have time to speak about social media and internet and screen times and all the effects. But I'm going to ask you one question that many people say it's connected to social media. There are other reasons why it could come. So we're not going to talk about why, but about that concept. Many times we see young people or older people, anybody that live in this place of privilege that people, you, society owes this to me. Something goes wrong, it's because of their fault. It's some kind of victimizing mentality. A person is always a victim. It's always somebody else's fault. I'm always blame other people for my problems. Why are we stuck there? And in a very short, what can we adapt to our families to support our kids to not become in that victim space? Well, Firstly, it's difficult not to because of what's happening to us with load shedding and a few other things. And yes, it is their fault for bringing us there. It's our fault by allowing them to do this to us because we were secure in our thinking that they will do the right thing. We gave them the power and they've abused it. So there is the power to take it back. In other things that happen to us, it may be accidental. And before you scream out to somebody else that it's your fault, uh, look at what did I do to cause that? Did I participate in any way? Or it could be uh, a lover. It could be a child. Did I contribute to the reaction in any way? One needs to be fully mindful in engagements with fellow human beings because in being human, we affirm the other and expect the other to affirm us. But we can't do that if we blame. I blame you. Rabbi, you're responsible. And exactly. I eschew all responsibility. It's not my fault. But then 
then when you'll I, be stuck. I'm going can. to be stuck because I'm going to be very lonely. I'm going to continue believing that the world is wrong and that the sun rotates around me. And that is exactly. unnatural. It cannot be. So be the best you can be and for yourself and for those around you. Amazing. We have to end. And there's so much more I need to ask you. And I think I'm going to so maybe continue this privately. Um, my question to you is, what is your message now? When we look at the difficult times we're going to, our listeners, you know, we are in a bit of a dark time, maybe double meaning in, in our country. What, what is the positive way? What do we need? What is a message to the people to connect to? Despite the negativity out there and despite the terrible things that are happening unto us, there are most of the people out there have the same needs, same desires as you and I. They want to see the best for themselves, for their children. We should participate in that space to make sure that they understand that we are part of that journey. And reaching across, understanding them rather than responding in anger or in a cancel culture way to diminish them in some way. Exactly. I think that restoring our sense of common humanity is doing God's work. Amazing. Just this morning I was speaking to someone. She's part of the uh, uh, important part of We the People. And ex exactly this message and this concept of the positivity and, and where the Constitution is what we want and what we need for our society. And just keeping to that and sticking to that, we'll, we'll get there. The, the, we'll, we'll find the way. We have to. We have to and we will, please God. Thank you, Dr. So much for being with us. Dr. That Kessel, um, Cooper, Dr. Cooper, as I said, I cannot go through all the credentials and all the stuff. Even your Wikipedia page is way too long <laughs> with amazing stuff you've done. But uh, psychologist and president of Pan-African Psychology Union, thank you so much for being with us today. Very insightful. A lot to learn. I encourage all of you to go on the website and listen to the recording. It's important uh, much to gain and we definitely need to speak about these things to get a brighter future for us in our communities. Thank you so much for being with us. This is Rabbi G. Chai Chinuch Rabbi G. As we do, we meet here every Monday, 2 to 3. In the meantime, till next Monday, 2 to 3, stay safe, stay well, and we will be back with new topics next week.